Well, in the hustle bustle of today's super busy world, post a global pandemic and in the midst of a recession, there's so much that we've been thinking about in these past few years and so much more that we're envisioning for the future. But what's at stake here is something that's super undertapped in the South Asian community, and that's our mental health. That's not something that a lot of us really focus on most of the time, or at least just even talk about within our households. And to work with such a stigmatized topic is a tough task for those in the mental health field. In today's episode, we have two special guests, two psychotherapists in Canada who just went through their training and have so much to share with us. And they also have their own podcast. So welcome to their show. Well, thanks, Amik, for having us. My name is Prabnoor. I am a registered psychotherapist in the qualifying category here in Canada and one of the co-hosts for the So Tell Me More podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Napia and I am also a registered psychotherapist qualifying, working in Ontario. And yeah, we are just really excited to be here. It's always amazing to talk to fellow podcast hosts. And so yeah, excited to kind of share our story with you today. Yeah, and I think this is super exciting because I got to be on your podcast kind of on the other end um, just a couple months back. Or has it been? How long has it been? It's been a while, a while. actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've been meaning to have you guys on our podcast too, so I'm really excited for this episode and to be able to feature both of you. So do you want to start off and just talk a little bit on what is psychotherapy? Sure. Yeah, I can give a, a broad overview because psychotherapy is a lot of things. Um, but really, it's this umbrella term that encompasses a treatment intervention that we use for mental health concerns, right? So that is a very vague overview of it. But essentially, the main mode of treatment is through therapy or something called talk therapy. And so psychotherapy specifically is between like a therapist, whoever that might be, and then someone else. And you essentially talk about your concerns. There's a a treatment plan that you go through. And then you use a whole bunch of different modalities, depending on what that therapist is trained in, to help that person learn more about their mood, their feelings, their thoughts and behaviors. Um, And the reason why it's so broad is because there's over 500 to 600 different types of modalities. And so that's why even when we explain what psychotherapy is, it is such a a wide range of things um, that it could be and so many different interventions. But yeah, that's kind of like a very brief overview. And I'm sure, I don't know, Prabhner, if you want to share a bit more specific about it. Yeah. I mean, in terms of psychotherapy, I think you're absolutely right where it is definitely a very big thing. And I also like to think everyone almost takes in psychotherapy uniquely. So what one person works on is very different from what what another person may work on. So some of the stuff that we're trained in and we work with is CBT or cognitive behavior therapy. That's a very structured modality where you're working towards goals. There's different skills and strategies that we're bringing in. So that's one type of therapy that you'll notice where someone will come in, we'll have an agenda and we'll walk through certain items on that agenda and do different skills and strategies working towards the person's goal. Whereas if we're comparing it with something that's a bit more open-ended, let's say like a psychodynamic approach, you might not have as much of a structured format. Rather, it may be a bit more free talking and working through different strategies and skills that follow different pathways. So those are just two very specific examples, but to give you a little bit of details as to how broad it can be and how it can look very different for the person seeking that support. So a question that I have is uh, what, because CBT seems to have a lot more structure. And like you said, it's very goal oriented. What are some examples of 
um, goals that you help clients achieve versus like what other types of therapy would be like? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, again, I would say such a variety in terms of the goals because it depends on what the person is coming in for, what the presenting concern is, which is essentially what is the problem here, right? Like what are we trying to work on? And then also what they're hoping their life looks like after therapy. And so when you take all those factors in, as well as also the therapist's own style, the goals can vary a lot. Um, but I'll give you some specific examples. So a lot of the work that I do is CBT for depression. And when we do work for CBT for depression, a lot of folks may have goals related to becoming activated or engaged in meaningful things in their life. Um, and so we use certain modalities for that. Some people want to focus a bit more on understanding their emotions and understanding why they do the things that they do in terms of behaviors. So we might focus on those things. Um, whereas some people actually generally just want to learn more about their childhood. They want to learn more about like how their childhood connects to their present and how that shapes their future. And so, yeah, there's like a lot, there's a lot of different things, which is why it's so important as psychotherapists for us to actually have that conversation early on about what are you here for? What are you seeking? And then how can I be a part of that journey for you um, to get you where you want to be, or at least get you started in that entire process? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think to add on to some of those examples and make that you're asking about what do some goals and what do some strategies look like? I know recently I've been working with someone for CBT for anxiety, and one thing that they said as a broad goal, which is something we can absolutely work towards, is I want to be able to control my anxiety. So a very common thing in CBT is working with thought records. And essentially what thought records are, are is, is a format where you're able to sit down, note what was the situation that increased my anxiety, what was I physically feeling in that moment, and then what were my thoughts. Once you're able to track all of these, we work on different skills and strategies to be able to pick apart those thoughts a bit more. Understand, are my thoughts completely true or is there some distortion hidden in there that's making me not see the full picture? So in that specific example with a particular anxiety case, you see how we're sitting with the thoughts and just exploring those further, working towards that goal of better being able to manage the anxiety. That was really helpful. And I... I think that gave me a lot of clarity on what makes CBT so different from other type forms of therapy, other mental health practices as well. Um, and I also really want to ask what led you to, to pursue this master's program? Um, was this from, from the start, like when you were going through your undergrad career, did you know that you wanted to be, um, do work in psychotherapy and did you know specifically it would be in CBT? I can, yeah, I can touch on that first. Um, I would say I absolutely did not know that this is what I would be doing down the line. And I think that's what makes it so amazing to reflect back on because I had no clue that this is the path I would be taking. Um, I went into my undergrad thinking a bit more in terms of like a hospital setting, which I'm still in, but thinking more about like physical health uh, focus or so maybe like med school or something along those lines. And then honestly, for me, it was taking my first psychology course. So like Psych 101, um, I was in that class. I really just enjoyed the concepts and I loved how I could see psychology at play everywhere around me. Like I could see it in my family. I could see it in like strangers. I could see it in random people and I could connect those themes and those topics. And that application side of it, it really just sparked my curiosity, I would say, and got me interested enough to want to specialize in that area. And so I decided to 
take a, a few more specialty courses and narrow down my my degree. And then, yeah, by the end of it, I just realized that for me, it, it seemed like the ideal spot would be this intersection between mental health care and patient care, as well as connecting those psychology concepts that I really enjoyed. And so for me, that that connection was psychotherapy. Um, and actually, Prabhnur and I were the first cohort in our psychotherapy program. Mm-hmm. And so it really was good timing, honestly, on our part that we were graduating or we were just about looking at grad programs and this program came up. And so, yeah, I applied, I finished the program and here I am. It was, it's quite amazing. Yeah, looking back at it. So that's my, my brief story <laughs> with psychotherapy. <laughs> Mine is also very similar in the sense that definitely psychotherapy, CBT was not my first step or go-to when I first started university. I actually started in science, so in life sciences, and I was sure I was going to do something in the physical sciences realm, but as soon as I did the first year and then the second year, I was like, you know what? I feel like I'm missing something, and I remember there was a specific course that I took in my third year where I got to work out in the community. And in that, in that course, we were doing music programming with individuals in a long-term care home. And I remember there's this one, one conversation I had with one of the older adults at that center where I felt so connected and I really enjoyed my time there. Not only were we, you know, playing music and engaging with a whole bunch of folks at that home, but I also got to talk to the people, learn more about their stories, what they were thinking, what they were feeling, and just how they were experiencing life. And I think for me, noticing that connection that I was able to build really showed me that I need I need that connection when I'm working with people. And psychology was always something I enjoyed. I took it in intro psych first year. I took it here and there, but I didn't get that opportunity to really explore psychology if I had like taken, let's say, a full undergrad in psych. So I continued my course in life sciences. I really tried to capitalize on any community-based programs that I did do, and I ended up actually getting a minor in community engagement with the hope that I would come back and do psychology. So I came back for another year and I did more psych classes and I realized, no, this is what I absolutely adore. And just like Navia said, it was like perfect timing because as I was graduating, this course, or I guess our master's popped up. There was like an open house in the university and they were like, you know, check it out. And I remember going to the open house and thinking, I have to, I have to apply. I really hope this works out because I think this is, this, this would be a really good fit. And I think, you know, finding that love of science, but also that love of connectivity that I get with people is really where I find my perfect combination for psychotherapy. Because even within CBT, we really do apply evidence-based psychotherapy. So my science brain is like, yes, we got the research in there. We got this is like validated. So I really do think that for me, it worked out perfectly in that sense where I got to combine my science and my connectivity, psychology, all that fun stuff admire admiration for those two and find it in the masters that's honestly both of these stories are amazing I feel like it's so like serendipitous that you were able to find these programs and um, apply the skills that you have because I think both of you come across as so friendly and even though I've only known you from this podcast and your podcast I feel like they're people people are like like you have to be in this field because you have to use that analytical side. And I think that's what I'm really gaining um, from this CBT podcast. Um, that That's what you need, like a structured sort of mindset. But at the same time, you have to have that humanistic sort of value um, to mm-hmm. be able to be excel at this field. And so I think it's great that both of you were able to find this program. So do you want to talk a little bit about um, how the program works? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's a master's program that is more course-based. So oftentimes when you think of a master's program, you think, oh, you have to do a thesis and all that research associated. So the unique thing about this program is it is a master's of science in psychotherapy, but it is course-based. So roughly it's about 20 months long and you have the opportunity throughout that time to learn both theoretical knowledge in the field of psychotherapy and treatment modalities and also get a lot of practical knowledge. So one good thing about the program or one of the many good things about the program that I really enjoyed is you get early on exposure to clinics. So within our first year, we were working in our practicum, first practicum, where we got to observe what psychotherapy looked like. So we had time to gain some of that foundational knowledge on like what is psychotherapy, what are some skills that you use, what is CBT, and then you get the opportunity to actually observe that in live action. And I think in addition to all of that, In our second year and beyond, uh, within here and there bits, we got a lot of opportunity and exposure to other modalities as well. So although we're based in CBT, we had experience to explore mindfulness, interpersonal therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, and also the research side of things. So although we're not a thesis-based master's, we did have the opportunity to explore research and see how it fits into the world of psychotherapy. That's awesome. And I guess the next question is, I know this program was new at your university, but do you have any tips for anyone who's aspiring to be in that program? That's a great question. And I would say we get so many like messages and emails asking, please tell me anything, right? Like anything that can help me get into this program. And Mm -hmm. it sounds really cliche and it probably is very cliche, but honestly, I, I do think like, and this is sort of the mindset I took for Uh, applying to the program and the whole process was really trying to think about and reflect on why are you even motivated to be in this program, right? Is it something that is a backup for you? Is it something that's more so like, you know what, whatever, it's something, right? At least it's better than like not being in a grad program at all. And so I think thinking more about your motivation in the program, because like you said, Amik, this is such a unique field where The person that you are shines through as the therapist that you'll be. And so if your motivations are just not in line with, you know, the reason why you're being, you're applying to the program or you're thinking about wanting to actually do something else and you're not fully passionate about it, I feel like that shines through, unfortunately. And, you know, it just makes it harder to to do well, I would say, and to be motivated to do well as well. So my biggest tip usually for folks is to think about why this program, why mental health as a field for you, and then how can this program help you get to the place that you want to be um, as your future career, right? And mm-hmm. and a huge part of therapy and being a therapist is self-reflection. And so you might as well start it at the early side of your, <laughs> your career. Um, you will get a bit tired of the self-reflection, but it's so critical and it's so important. So yeah, I would say that's sort of my my big tip, which isn't really a tip, but general thing no, to think about. I think I think it's such a good tip because in line with that, I want to say as you're self-reflecting, I think it's so important for you to put yourself in situations where you have opportunities to reflect on it. Mm-hmm. So I know one big thing I would say, definitely make sure you have your academic requirements for the program or any program that you're applying to make sure you meet those minimum requirements, but then also try to explore the field that you're going to as much as possible, mm-hmm. whether that's through volunteer work, whether that's through like uh, co-op programs, you know, working, whatever exposure you can get to the field you're interested in really gives you that glimpse of what it might look like when you're working in that field. So I know for myself, 
I didn't have too many exposures to psychotherapy before the year before I applied. I um, ended up volunteering with a counselor in my area and I was able to sit in on some of the group stuff that she did. And I really got a glimpse as to what psychotherapy or therapy can look like. I had a very different view of it going in. And I think getting that insight as to what she did and how it might look really helped me solidify that, yes, this is something I want to do. Now, I know that, you know, you may not always get the opportunity to do certain things, but I think as best you can put yourself out there and really learn, is this field what I'm expecting and is it what I want? Yeah. And like, I guess now that you're out of this program and both of you are working, is this um, a field that you feel like all the studying was worth it and you feel rewarded. You feel like it's a rewarding field for you. How is that going now? Just being in the workforce. I would say it's so much more rewarding than I would ever imagine. Um, It's one of those things, right? Like when you start a full-time job in the field that you're intending to kind of go forward with, there's a bit of nerves and a bit of like, okay, I hope this was the right choice. I hope that I made the right decisions, whatever that means for you. Um, And for me, I think the indication is like when I wake up in the morning and I have to get ready for a 45-minute commute to work, I feel like doing it, right? Like I'm I want to do it. I want to be there and I'm excited about like getting to learn and getting to be a part of a team of just like such amazing professionals in that kind of setting. Um so for me, yes, it was worth it. I'm very excited to see what's in store. Like the learning doesn't end and so I think that helps drive me too. Like I'm very curious to learn about new modalities and and other areas, different populations. Um so that's a huge part of it, but yeah, I would say absolutely. Just seeing, like hearing feedback from your clients, hearing feedback from your your team members, it's just, it means so much. Like it, it really keeps me motivated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would I would definitely agree with that as well. I think it, def- it surely is extremely rewarding, especially when you are at the end of treatment or even as you're progressing through it and your clients tell you, you know what, I, th- I think this is actually making a difference or I'm noticing a change in my mood. I've had that happen earlier this week where we're, we're very early on. We're only on the fourth week and my client was like, yeah, you know what? I, I'm noticing that I actually want to do more things. Like I didn't want to get out of bed first, but now I have like three goals that I'm working on and I feel so I feel so good about it. And just hearing that, I'm like, this is amazing. I was so happy that, you know, I was able to have a little bit of an impact or help you help yourself find that motivation back. And I think just seeing the 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 work that people put in is so rewarding in itself. And then I think one big one big thing that Navi also mentioned is having an amazing team to work with. I am very grateful that I work also in a very hospital setting where there's a bunch of different psychologists, mental health workers, social workers, and all of us are working together. So at any point, I can always just like pop my head out of my office and be like, hey, I have a question or hey, I need some extra help. But I know everyone is always there to support you. So I think for I think we got lucky and we're, we're very happy with how everything turned out. I'm so glad to hear that. I feel like um, for me, like I'm aspiring to, to, to also be in the healthcare field and I no, it's like a lot of studying that goes along with it. Um, not only is it studying to take the exam to enter a school, but then entering that program seems very stressful mm-hmm. and then all the clinical experience. So I feel like it's really good to know how rewarding it could be at the end because I know also working in healthcare in a hospital setting um, can be uh, lead to a lot of burnout too with the number mm-hmm. of patients you might see. And I think I don't, I don't know too much about the Canadian healthcare system, but I know like sometimes there's systemic reasons as well that can make burnout really um, 
easy to like it can be really easy for burnout to happen as well um so no that that's really good to hear I also had a really random question but this was some like way earlier but Navia mentioned um about how when she started taking psychology classes um you felt like you were able to apply things a lot easier to people so have you both ever applied anything that you've learned on yourselves because I know I um what I like learned very minimal psychology but the minimal stuff that I learned like internal locus of control and like um all those things I would start applying them to myself and that's how I actually honestly studied it I don't know how accurate I was I did okay in my course but um yeah did you ever apply it to yourself or have you ever like you even today I guess apply any of these principles to your own lives yeah, 100%. Oh. <laughs> I feel yes. like it'd be it'd be very unusual if you didn't apply the skills that you were teaching, um, especially when it comes to therapy skills, right? Like a lot of them are life skills that can apply to anyone, whether there's a diagnosis or not, whether there's that severe level of um, dysfunctioning or not. And so, yeah, like, I, you know, I always reflect if there's a moment where I'm like, wait, I'm telling someone that they should try something out, but I've never done it myself. I do my best as much as I can to try it first and then share that experience with them. And I think through that, you also learn like, hey, these are challenges that can come up. This can feel really effortful and it can feel like there's no point in it. But trust me, there's like gain in the long term, right? So that modeling and that um, personal experience that you can share is so valuable. Um, and then I always get the question, like when I meet new people, they're like, are you analyzing me right now? Like, are you giving me a diagnosis right now? And I'm always like, no, like I'm not the person that goes around and does it that way. And also I get diagnosed, but yeah, I think there's that curiosity. I'd love to learn more about people. I love to talk to people. So part of that comes through there. Um, but yeah, hundred percent. I try to do as much of what I say for myself as well. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like it would be a disservice if your therapist isn't practicing what they preach because it is so important to be in tune with yourself. Like Navia said, self-reflection is a big part of what we're doing. And I think employing some of the things that you're talking about or at least seeking support in a way where you're able to employ some of that stuff is so important. I know um, simple things that I like to bring in into my day-to-day stuff is also like goals. We talk a big big deal around like smart goals or just goal setting. I've set small goals for myself, especially when I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm like, okay, we're going to break this down. Let's do step by step. What can I do in like today? What can I do tomorrow? Or even bringing in like thought records. It's surprising how often I've actually used a thought record on myself, whether formally writing it down or informally in my mind. And it's actually helped. And like you said, Navia, I think it's so helpful to gain that insight as to what clients are even experiencing as they're doing the things we're sharing with them. Because you you get to ex- you understand where they're coming from in some aspects of, oh yeah, I also found it really hard to talk about my emotions in that time. Or yeah, it's really hard doing more than three goals in a week. So I think it's definitely really helpful even to employ some of the stuff that we've been learning. Yeah. Yeah. And no, something- I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, yeah. Something else I wanted to add is also I'm noticing this shift with the way that psychology and like psychotherapy specifically is being taught. Like I'm taking a DBT course right now and the way the course is taught is that you're actually a participant in a DBT group. DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. And so you have a facilitator who's your instructor, but you're expected to do home practice. You're expected to come to session, prepare to share, prepare to engage in a session the way that any participant would. And 
I'm loving it. Like I think it's such a unique experience and a different way for you to be able to apply those skills. And it's made me a much better facilitator now that I use those skills with the clients that I work with because I've done it, right? Like I have that insight. I have the ability to share. Um, So I'm really enjoying getting to see training courses changing and shifting towards that as well. So it's a bit more experiential rather than that like lecture-based, just like memorize stuff and learn. That's amazing. I think like in healthcare, I feel like the word empathy is thrown a lot. And I feel like you can't truly empathize with someone unless you are experiencing like any of this. So I feel like this is a great way to do that um, with patients. So that's that's awesome. And specific to the South Asian community, um, what is your role as South Asian psychotherapy students? So I think being a South Asian therapist is a very interesting um, role that I've recently taken on and nothing and one that I I didn't realize I guess to what details it would look like before mm-hmm. I stepped into it. I'd always heard of you know um, when you have a person of color going in to see a therapist who is not a person of color and sometimes the difference in the um, mindset or the values or even just like day-to-day experiences that you have. But I think I didn't understand it fully till I experienced it myself. So I uh, have I, I, one story comes to mind of a client that I had earlier on in my practicum. But I remember it was one of my first South Asian um clients. She was a young female and we were having a conversation and she said something and she was like, oh, you'll get it. You have like a brown family. You know what I mean? And I could be like, no, I I 100% understand where you're coming from and I totally get what you mean by this. And she just felt so relieved. She's like, finally, you get it. My friends don't fully understand where I'm coming from. So it's always hard to talk to them about these expectations that my family has. And I think that that really stood out to me because not only was it my first client that I was working with who was South Asian, but I realized absolutely that connectivity that you have as a person of color or a South Asian woman working with other people in the South Asian community really brings you that one step closer to understanding some of their experiences. And I think that's one thing that I've been very mindful of is I want to be able to not only be there to understand where my clients are coming from, but also being open to learning. The South Asian community is so vast and so diverse. So I think having an open mind where you're like, okay, I may have a very similar experience to you, but I may not, but I still want to be open to learning what that experience is for you and then offering my support in a way that would be helpful to you. So I think learning what that role really entails has been very interesting and very, very rewarding in itself as well. A question that I have actually specific to the South Asian communities with my limited knowledge, I know I was talking to one of my friends who was studying psychology at the time and she was telling me, we were talking about locus of control again. um, And one thing that was really interesting was I noticed that um, spiritually, like, uh, I follow the Sikh religion and that really promotes external locus of control. And in general, we were talking and she was also South Asian. She said a lot of like East Asian or like um, Eastern, sorry, Eastern cultures do promote external locus of control versus Western cultures have more internal locus of control. So I guess what are your thoughts on um, deferring practices within both the Eastern and Western worlds? And have you encountered any sort of difficulty, I guess, when um, specifically, it, it doesn't have to be specific to locus of control, but like, um, and that's like the one word I know, so just keep <laughs> but um, 
in general with CBT practices, has there been any sort of difficulty in enforcing a practice within the South Asian community or have you seen anything like that? Yeah, I think it's it's inevitable, right? That things will come up that maybe don't even fit your own like religious views, maybe don't fit the modality that you're using specifically. And so I think with anything that you're doing, um, it comes down to culturally safe practices, right? The mm-hmm. idea is not that I get you 100% because we can really never get anyone 100% or their experience, but it's more so I'm here for you with this openness and willingness to learn. And so, yeah, I've had some clients who have, are from like a different religious background and they are interested in including that in treatment. And so it's sort of this collaboration between what can I offer you, not knowing too much about it, but supporting you through that journey while also combining it with things that I know are empirically helpful, things that have been research supported and finding that happy balance for both of you. Um, There are some people that prefer a solely spiritual approach, right? And so in that case, my approach might be, well, here are some resources that can offer you that, right? Like maybe we can refer you out or find you a practitioner that has more of that similar lens with you. So it's it's definitely, yeah, it's an individual thing. It totally depends. And sometimes there's just not a fit between therapist and client. And I like I think it's really important to normalize that. It just because you're getting a therapist doesn't mean they have to be the perfect fit for you, right? Um, you don't have to settle with that one person. I know our system kind of requires you to settle to some degree, but yeah, it, it's not always a perfect fit and it's okay if it's not. Um as long as you're both like open about talking about that, right? And open about helping the person get connected to what they do need. Uh, It can be really helpful. But yeah, I enjoy talking about these kinds of things. I think it's really beautiful when it comes up. I work with young people between the ages of 17 and 24. And so a lot of them are figuring out faith for themselves. They're figuring out what spirituality means for them outside of their family. And that can be a really interesting journey to be a part of. Um, And again, a lot of times I'm more so of an observer and a support person than like guiding them and like dragging them through it, but still a really unique role that I enjoy taking on. That's awesome. And I think along those lines of being willing to learn about different cultures and um, religions in general, what's the importance of having diversity in your field? There's a huge importance, Um, like from the surface level, which is representation, right? If I see people that look like me, I might just feel a bit more comfortable. Um, Even one or 2% more comfort might lead to you seeking services versus keeping it in and staying quiet the rest of your life. So for me, that's huge. Like if I see someone that I'm comfortable with, I can increase that access, right? So I think that's a big part of it. The second bit of it for me is learning from those who have those similar backgrounds, right? So changing our system, adapting our system, and incorporating different ways of learning um, based on firsthand experience and not based on like a a white person telling you this is what (laughs) culture looks like or this is what like Indian families are like, so to say. Um, And so, yeah, like this way, being on the front line and being able to share our own experiences, we get to change and adapt the way that healthcare is delivered in all different settings. And I think that is one of the coolest parts. And I would say it's so cool also 
just being able to generally support people of color. Like I've noticed that. So like I've seen some South Asian clients, but I would say we have like a really big emphasis on just people in color, people of color generally. And that's been really nice for me is just someone else seeing that, you know what, there's more than just the cookie cutter like matches here. There's more than cookie cutter therapists and there's some diversity even that in itself, whether you're not from the same background, can be empowering enough to get someone to open up. So Mm -hmm. yeah, huge effects. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think as an addition to that, I'd also want to say that the need for diversity is so important because a lot of the modalities or the the worksheets or, you know, the the treatment out there is somewhat cookie cutter. You know, you have your established protocols, you have things that you work through, but that doesn't always work for everyone. And when one person comes to mind, I remember I was working with someone who was a person of color and we were talking about assertiveness. And in the CBT protocol, if anyone's done that, they may know that there's part where we talk about communication and assertiveness specifically. And there's this worksheet that we use. And I remember as I was introducing this to him, he was like, you know what? I, he's like, I, he's like, Brubner, I can't say this to my family. Like they're just not going to be receptive, receptive to it. They're going to think I'm being extremely disrespectful. And I, and I reflected in that moment because I hadn't thought about it in that way. But as, as I was looking through and I was talking to him, I noticed, yeah, in his family, based off of his values and cultures, this would be seen as disrespectful. Whereas for many other folks, they were so open to understanding this assertiveness worksheet where they were like, yeah, no, I can assertively say that I need this from another person. So I think when we notice that diversity, like you said, Napia, with that representation, you know, talking more about how other people view different cultures, we also get to extend that into the work that we do. So what what that treatment looks like and bring in that diversity element in there because not everything we have right now is applicable to everyone. So the more diverse people we have in the field, the more insight we'll get as to is this treatment actually helpful? And if not, how can we modify it? So it is. That that's I think that's that's really important to be able to consider that. And I think especially that worksheet example, I think is is something you never really consider. I feel like there's so many different cultures and I think I think being from one that's not, you know, the mainstream culture gives you a little bit of perspective, but at the same time, you know, like being South Asian is definitely not the same as being Korean or mm-hmm. things like that. So I think it's great that you uh, protocols to consider these things. I feel like that's something that's really recently developed in healthcare. Um, and so it, it's great that it's, you know, actually being properly developed, I think. Um, so tell us more. So tell us more about your podcast. I can share a bit about our podcast, like an, an intro of it. So it is called so tell me more, a dive into psychotherapy. It's a bit of a mouthful, but we loved it. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of, we released it in the summer of 2021, which feels like ages ago now. And that was our first season out with 15 episodes. And you could listen to it on all of your favorite podcast listening apps and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite the process. Prabhner and I were classmates in our master's program and we I mean, I would I would give her credit. So she came up with the idea and pitched it to me. And after that, we kind of didn't look back. It was it was like, okay, we're gonna do this. We both love talking, and so it just felt like let's talk and also record ourselves and see how it goes, and maybe it'll turn into something. Um, 
And I would just say like one more thing I want to add is that when we released our introduction episode, just seeing like different family members of mine get involved in this, asking questions about like, what is this thing called psychotherapy? I've never heard of this in my life. I think that motivated me even more as to realizing like this is an important thing to do. This is important not just for like the smaller audience like our families, but even anyone else who might be listening further out um, to know that there's a place to learn things. There's a place to be curious and you're not going to be like made fun of for having questions or for wanting to learn more about these topics that maybe you're expected to know. Um, so we approach it with this lens of like we try to share the basic information, share our opinions and our experiences, and then let people do what they want with that information, right, and take away what they need to. Um, but yeah, there's so much more to share. So go ahead, Prepner. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you covered it so well. I mean, we're on our second season now. We're wrapping up our second season very soon. So to even have two seasons out at this point, I think has been such an amazing journey for us. Definitely a lot of hard work. Currently, we do a lot of our editing. No, not a lot. Currently, it's just the two of us. The team of So Tell Me More is Navia and Fremnor. It's just the two of us. So there's a lot of work that goes into it. But I think all of it is still very rewarding. Like you were saying, Navia, with like the amount of feedback we've gotten from friends, family, family, and even folks we don't know and never have met. So I think it's just been such an amazing experience overall. And really with this podcast, our mission, so to say, was trying to share various psychotherapy and mental health topics in a way that's accessible, but also engaging and it's enjoyable and something that people would want to listen to. So we talk about various topics like love languages, therapy and movies, you know, South Asian mental health. We've done little things on like Love is Blind and Bridgerton. So we really try to explore what mental health can look like in topics that people are wanting to listen to. But we also throw in the stuff of like, this is behavioral activation or this is what CBT looks like. So it's like a big, it's a big mix of everything. But ultimately our goal is really to just get those conversations started and be a hub for people where they're accessing mental health uh, resources or just wanting to learn more so they can hop on in, listen to a couple of episodes and even learn one thing from it. I think that's so neat, especially like the Bridgerton and the like analyzing shows. I feel like that really you get to apply what you're learning on like super like fun things in a sense, like mm-hmm. um, because so many people watch these shows and connect with these characters. And I know like one show that comes to my mind is um, it's called Never Have I Ever because she mm-hmm. uh, Davy has like this therapist who's also a woman yeah. of color, and I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like those things are so cool to kind of. It's I, I wish I was at the stage where I could apply like something like that to to like pop culture. Um, but what are some insights that you've gleaned from podcasting? There's a lot of insights, I would say. It's hard to narrow it down. It has been two seasons for us. I think the cool bit was just how amazing the mental health community is. And when I say mental health, I mean like really anyone who's remotely connected to mental health. It could be a whole variety of professionals and even just people with their own experiences. But we have created such a beautiful community through this podcast. We have gotten to connect with people internationally, which I would have never, ever expected to happen. Um, 
And so, yeah, it's a it's a very tight knit community. It's a community that's constantly looking for ways to be innovative and push the boundaries of what mental health is right now and connect with as many people as we can. Um, and so I think that was like the one big thing that stood out to me is just how much support there is out there. Um, and then secondly, just how interesting these topics are. <laughs> like I thought at some point, like after one season, maybe we'd be done with it and we have enough content, whatever, we're good, no more to talk about. But yeah, there's constantly new topics to to share and new um, ideas that we have. And like you said, never have I ever. Now there's like a person of color as a therapist and there you go, something else that we can analyze and talk about. So it's just, um, it's such a beautiful field. And I think having a podcast where you're sharing those topics helps you appreciate it a bit more um, than I did initially. Yeah, no, I have to say even being on like yeah, podcasting as well. I feel like I've learned so much from so many different people and you get to connect with people all over the world, like you said. And I think that's been cool because like, for example, you're in Canada. I've once mm-hmm. connected with someone in the UK talking about healthcare systems has been very interesting. Um, talking about different fields, like yours is so unique. I haven't been able to connect with at least someone who's worked in like CBT before. And I think that's such a neat field. And I learned a little bit about it. Um, in in college and how it's so goal-oriented but actually talking to people who work in the field is so much more different like um so I, I yeah I, I think it's great and I really resonate with like everything you just said um but I guess to wrap it up what are some things that you would like your listeners to know mm-hmm. absolutely and I think one big thing is it is so scary to reach out for help And it can also be daunting to understand, you know, what psychotherapy is, what mental health can look like, or even how to access supports. And I think our hope with the podcast really is to get that, not only get that conversation started, but also to encourage people to reach out when they're ready and when they're comfortable. We always like to share a vast amount of resources at the end of our episodes, and they're often related to what we're talking about, but also very diverse other ones that are always included. And, you know, we always want to say that, you know, big or small therapy or, you know, just talking to a peer or just getting peer support in any manner, it's okay to reach out for help. And there are people here that want to support you and are there for you when you need it. So reach out, whether it's just like sending in a text message to some of those resources or more formally looking at a therapist, it's okay. Take your time with it. But there are people out there that want to help you in any way that they can. That was a beautiful last note to end on. I think that's always so important to reiterate because I feel like there's, especially I think within our community, there's so much stigma regarding uh, mental health. And I think a lot of it's been changing in the last couple of years. And I think especially during COVID, but at the same time, I think that's a really important reminder. And I think both of you are so, so friendly and so kind. I feel like um, this is a good sort of, Pre, like a uh, good sort of uh, delve into psychotherapy and what it means to interact with um, you know people like you um, if you're in Canada they can hit you up or um, if uh, you know in general I think it's so important to consult services if you need it so uh, yeah yeah thank you so much for being on our podcast and um, sharing all of these insights I think this has been a really impactful sort of episode just learning about the field how to get into the field but also your experiences because I feel like that's what these stories are what is what empowers people to pursue a field or to pursue psychotherapy in general so yeah thank you for being on our podcast 
Thanks so much for having us. I know it has been a mission, but here we are um, in two different countries <laughs> recording this episode. So yeah, thanks so much for giving us the space to talk about it and letting us see this other side of like what it's like to be a guest on a podcast. I think it's yeah. a very unique experience. Yeah. And I also want to say thank you, Amik, for all the work that you do with Brown Women Health and your team for putting all this information out there for folks to access because ours may be limited and, you know, focus on psychotherapy, but you really take that stage and try to open it up to various mental health fields, various like healthcare items. So I think it's so important, the work that you're doing and putting out there. So we also want to thank you for everything you're doing. Oh, thank you. 